This podcast is supported by Anchor FM. If you've ever thought about doing your own podcast, then check out Anchor FM. Anchor FM is a free podcast platform that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or your tablet if you got one. I really can't recommend these guys enough. It was worth switching over from another platform. Once you set up your podcast, Anchor FM will automatically distribute it to all other platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or such and such. It's very easy, very streamlined, and you can start making money immediately. Download the free Anchor app or log on to anchor.fm to get started. This is a Kitty Pod production. Welcome to CR Crime, the only podcast dedicated to true crime in New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt, whom you may remember as also being the host of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, of which this is an offshoot. This week, we honor the start of the most unusual meet at the Saratoga race course ever, not by discussing illicit doings at the track. Rather, one of the gangsters who, like many others in the 1920s, as before the pandemic a century later, made Saratoga Springs their summer home. His name was Lucky Luciano. Since 1863, your narrator's beloved hometown of Saratoga Springs, New York, has been the summer playground of the New York elite. The spa city brings in horse players, trainers, owners, and the occasional celebrity to the town during the summer months. Apart from playing the ponies, the city is also famous for the healing quality of its springs and was a favorite health getaway in the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains. But with the advent of Prohibition in 1920, the still young city, having been incorporated as such only five years earlier, gained a reputation as both a center of liquor smuggling and a hotbed of corruption amongst criminals and local politicians. The earliest of these criminals was the man who founded the Mafia, as we would come to know it in both the news and popular culture, Charles Lucky Luciano. Before we get into the meat of this episode, I would like to acknowledge as the primary source of this episode's script a great book by retired Saratoga Springs Police Chief Greg Veach entitled Gangster's Paradise, Saratoga Springs. This book is available at the Northshire Bookstore in Saratoga Springs, both in-store and online. Luciano was born Salvatore Lucania on the island of Sicily on November 24, 1897, the third of four children. At the age of eight, Luciano and his family emigrated to the United States, settling on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He dropped out of school at the age of 14 and went to work delivering hats, earning him a cool $7 a week. Not bad for 1912. However, when he won a lot more cash in a dice game, he quit that job and decided to earn money on the street rather than through sweat and labor. Luciano's parents were not best pleased on hearing this piece of news and sent young Salvatore to the Brooklyn Truant School. No word on how long he lasted there. Martin Scorsese's 2002 film Gangs of New York casts an historic eye towards gangs during the mid-19th century and up until the middle of the Civil War. Catholic Irish immigrants, who arrived as a result of the potato famine in their native country, Ireland that is, 
frequently got into scuffles with the old guard consisting of their Protestant Scots-Irish counterparts during this time, as well as getting the occasional assist from the Tammany Hall political machine. In the 1890s, Paul Kelly founded the Five Points Gang, so named because they were based in the Five Points neighborhood of Manhattan. Why would they not? Even though he had an Irish-sounding name, Kelly was actually born Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli. Around the turn of the 20th century, Luciano was a member of the Five Points Gang and felt compelled to strike out on his own, kind of like when a popular singer splits off from his band to do a side project. While other gangs such as the Dead Rabbit centered their activities around petty crimes, Luciano offered to protect the growing number of young Jews and Eastern Europeans in the gang's ranks from other Italians and Irish for only 10 cents a week. It was one of the children of Israel that Luciano met during this time. When this youngster was walking home from school, Luciano tried to extort this teenage boy for protection money. He defiantly refused his threats, which Luciano respected, and from that, a friendship and eventual partnership developed. The teenager in question was Meyer Lansky, whom we'll examine in next week's episode. On a side note, it's unclear how Salvatore Lucania became Charles Lucky Luciano, nor how he earned his nickname. The more plausible explanation is that although he was arrested 25 times for robbery, blackmail, and illicit gambling, he never once spent time in prison. As for his last name, newspapers had frequently misspelled it in their reports. I wonder what that's like. On January 17, 1920, the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution went into effect banning the sale, making, and transport of alcoholic beverages. As demand for these libations continued, a black market developed and groups of criminals were ready to respond in the era of rum running, speakeasies, and bathtub gin. As Prohibition began, Luciano made his way to Saratoga Springs. Under the tutelage of Arnold Rothstein, Luciano ran the brook an opulent casino that was innovative in that it would become the blueprint for other such gambling halls years later. Rothstein sold the club to Nat Evans several years later. Rothstein was best known as the main fixer of the 1919 World Series, leading to the Black Sox scandal and the banishment of such players as Shoeless Joe Jackson of the Chicago White Sox. Luciano set up shop at a less opulent gambling den called the Chicago Club, Located where a Bank of America branch now stands off-Broadway on Division Street, the illicit club consisted of a single craps table, two roulette tables, a birdcage for some strange reason, and probably the earliest known iteration of an off-track betting parlor. During the annual horse racing meet in August, Luciano fronted the operation with James Leary, leaving Gus DiMatteo and Matty Burns to run the shop the rest of the year. Of note was the fact that Luciano, who would go on to become the head of the Genovese crime family, the first such syndicate in America, was in charge of the club during his prostitution trial in 1936. He would be convicted and sentenced to 30 to 50 years in prison and deported back to his native Italy. Two years earlier, the brook burned on New Year's Eve 1934, one of the many mob-related gambling halls in Saratoga that were established, thrived, and eventually burned for reasons known only to them. Luciano ran the Chicago club knowing that state politicians who were trying to shut them down were mere hypocrites. According to Martin Gosh and Richard Hammer's book, The Last Testament of Lucky Luciano, 
he was quoted as saying that it was kind of a joke. Furthermore, he stated that during daylight hours, quote, Governor Herbert Lehman's whole crime staff was screaming about gambling, the underworld, and how we all ought to be closed down. But at night, those same crime busters was in Saratoga, gambling like everybody else. And there ends that accent and that quote. Luciano wasn't the only gangster connected with illicit gambling operations in Saratoga. One of his associates, Little Augie Pisano, born Anthony Carfano, was involved in a shootout at Riley's, a popular casino and nightclub on Lake Lonely outside of town, on August 11, 1925. The headline of the next morning's edition of the Saratogian misidentified the location as nearby Newman's Lake House, but who cares? At 4 o'clock in the morning, Charles Cook, a night watchman at Riley's, saw two men attempting to break into the building. Cook told them that the building was closed for the night and thus they were denied entry. As soon as those words left Cook's mouth, one of the would-be burglars shot at Cook, nearly striking him in the head. Undeterred, Cook charged at the getaway car and shouted at the wheelman to turn off the engine. Cook was shot at again, this time a blow to the shoulder. He hit the car with one of two shots, but didn't get any of the felons before he passed out at the scene. Cook would later recover from his injury. Two Saratoga Springs police officers spotted the car near Yaddo on Union Avenue, near the present-day exit 14 of Interstate 87, also known as the Northway, and gave chase. Patrolman James Cummings, who took up the chase with a colleague last name of McGurr, leaned out of the cop car and fired five shots at the suspects. The getaway car, riddled with several bullet holes, sped down Union Avenue, made a left turn onto Circular Street, right next to Congress Park, and kept going down South Broadway. Patrick Rocks, a detective who would later become the city's chief of police, fell in and joined the chase. When all was said and done, Pisano and his accomplice crashed the car into a ditch just over the Cateros Creek Bridge in the town of Malta. McGurr and Cummings drove at such speed that they overshot the accident scene but came back to arrest the pair. Assisting Pisano was Thomas O'Neill, who was caught reaching for his 32 caliber revolver, which was found in the car as he dropped it when the car crashed. Two local women, Gladys Pullman and Annette Mayone, were also found in the car and were released after talking to the police. During the interrogation, they claimed that they had met Pisano and O'Neill earlier that evening for drinks and dancing and ended with a joyride. O'Neill was acquitted after it was determined during his trial the following June that he may not have been the trigger man. Likewise for Pisano, who was gunned down in 1959. While out to dinner with a married woman in New York City, he took a phone call when two men appeared suddenly from the backseat of his car and shot both him and the woman near LaGuardia Airport. After serving 10 years of his prison sentence, Luciano was deported to his native Italy after World War II. He delved into the narcotics trade while maintaining ties to the American crime scene, only to briefly return stateside in the late 1950s. It was on November 14, 1957, that Vito Genovese called the New York Mafia bosses to a meeting at the home of Joseph Barbara, alias Joe the Barber, in the Tioga County hamlet of Appalachian a good 20 miles south-southwest of Binghamton as the crow flies, to sort out issues in the underworld and approve his takeover of Luciano's family. However, the meeting turned into a total debacle when a New York State trooper was tipped off by the sight of expensive cars near the house. 
In the end, police broke up the meeting and no less than 65 mafiosi were arrested. Luciano got revenge on Genovese after a meeting at the Grand Hotel e de Palme in Palermo, Italy to discuss the illicit heroin trade and allegedly paid a Puerto Rican man part of a $100,000 sum to falsely implicate him in a drug deal. Him meaning Genovese. Pronouns, pal. By the way, listen to the kitty pod. A little bit of that seeping in. Anyway, Genovese was convicted of conspiracy to violate federal drug laws in New York on April 4, 1959 and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Vito Genovese wound up serving two-thirds of that sentence as he died in prison 10 years later on Valentine's Day, February 14, 1969. Luciano was looking to capitalize on his infamy by making his life story into a motion picture. He had flown back to Naples to discuss the matter with Martin Gosch from earlier on in the story when he suffered a heart attack at the airport and died on January 26, 1962 at the age of 64. Italian drug agents had been tailing Luciano to arrest him on charges of smuggling drugs, but damn it if the Grim Reaper hadn't got there first. Riley, the lake house where the aforementioned shooting took place, burned in 1931 and sold to Louis Doc Barone the following year. Matty Dunn, the owner since 1923, continued to lease Riley's until 1938, only to close four years later in 1942. Riley sat abandoned for over half a century until its contents were auctioned off and the building demolished in 1996. Thanks as always for listening to CR Crime. If you enjoyed this episode, we've got a full archive on the same fee as the Keep It To Yourself podcast, available on Anchor FM. You can also listen there as well as on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or the platform of your choice. And give us a good rating and a good write-up, five stars that is. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.